Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. A couple of congressmen, one from Texas, one from California, that uh, extremely conservative bastion of the Republic of California, have now introduced articles of impeachment against the now incumbent President Donald Trump. And they are making a name for themselves. <laughs> it's something to tell their great-great-grandchildren about, about what a courageous stand they took. Such visionaries. Well, once upon a time, not that long ago, there was a president who, amongst his various different agenda items, made a great effort to bring Israel to the peace table, to smoke the peace pipe, to make crippling concessions in order to make a name for himself, perhaps, or simply to further his globalist, internationalist agenda. James Earl Carter, Jr., Jimmy, trust me, Carter. Southern Baptist Sunday school teacher, good old boy, peanut farmer from Plains, Georgia. who succeeded in politically scaling the landscape within the U.S. Navy in the nuclear submarine fleet. Pinned his career, his future, to the head of those operations. Later returned, retired as a gentleman farmer to Plains, Georgia. And entered the fray of civilian politics as compared to the politics that he played in the military. And even though when he ran as candidate for the presidency, and he was just this smiling, good old boy, but a more sophisticated version than his brother Billy. He already had made a name for himself in the state of Georgia. He was known as a ruthless power monger, but he came to be known to the American people as this genteel pacifist and so on and so forth. But he strong-armed Israel into making absolutely ruinous concessions to bloodthirsty enemies who are determined to annihilate the Jews, the Hebrews, and the Christians there to drive the modern state of Israel into the sea, to take all of that territory and enslave it. It's one of those feathers in the cap of Jimmy Carter. And Jimmy Carter continues 
this great globalist, internationalist agenda, which has many, many, many tentacles, many different agendae items under its crown. But into his elder years, I believe he is 93 at this time. Well, our new president, Donald Trump, I say new president, he's only been in the presidency since January 20th. So, He's a newbie, but as of last month, his golden boy Jewish son-in-law was leading the effort to broker a peace deal in Israel. A peace deal again requiring Israel to make back-breaking, horribly jeopardizing, ruinous concessions in exchange for a promise of peace, in exchange for a non-aggression promise that isn't worth the paper that it's printed on. But... Interestingly enough, that so early on in this presidency that this should take center stage, that this should be of such vital importance not to bring world peace to the Middle East, to manufacture peace in the Middle East, but instead... to extremely dangerously jeopardize Israel. And who better to do that than uh, the Jewish son-in-law of the current president? Well, there are all manner of Jews, uh, all manner except, of course, except of, course, those who believe in the actual factual Messiah. Those who do are typically referred to as Messianic Jews and or Christians within various different denominational ranks many within the Assembly of God denomination where you have kind of melting pot, former Roman Catholics and former Jews are some of those. But Jesus referred to some Jews as being the synagogue of Satan. And he said that referring to all... (laughs) Peoples, we shall know them by their fruits. Well, Jared Kushner has shown himself to be (laughs) in a number of things by his fruits, and those are not, in my view, praiseworthy things. And yet he is very much, if he were a son of Donald Trump, you would say he was a chip off the block. He is that similar to the president. But but smoother, a smoother operator. Donald Trump, for his self-professed great expertise in wheeling and dealing in the art of the deal, is also, you know, crude and vulgar and comes out with outlandish, stupid things and all this, you know... This tweeter-in-chief stuff is really remarkable. And Kushner certainly seems to be of a more sophisticated ilk. But speaking further of our illustrious commander-in-chief, perhaps 
you happened to see last month, the little brouhaha regarding actor Johnny Depp and his remarks over in England referencing the president. And after the fact, he said he intended no malice, even though he joked about the president being assassinated. It's the kind of thing that if it had occurred during the presidency of Donald Trump's presidential predecessor, would have garnered all manner of condemnation throughout the political ranks and the celebrity ranks and the celebrity political ranks within this nation and around the world would have had just heaps of condemnation associated with it. And it would have gone on and on and on would have been repeated continuously in the major media by those such as Scott Pelley. I'll come back to Scott in a few minutes. But instead, it was just a blip on the radar screen. It didn't receive any attention to speak of. Johnny Depp stated, when was the last time an actor assassinated a president? And he later said, again, it did not come out as intended. I intended no malice. I was only trying to amuse, not to harm anyone. Following the statement about... When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? A question, a rhetorical question. To which his crowd, his adoring throng, cheered, clapped, stomped, whistled. Depp added, I want to clarify, I'm not an actor. I lie for a living. Well, he definitely should be a politician then. The fact of the matter is he is an actor, he is an entertainer, he is a gifted, talented actor. A rather reprehensible human being, it seems, based on everything I've seen about his personal behavior. But nonetheless, he is a gifted, entertaining, enjoyable actor, as far as I'm concerned. But I do find it interesting that he was given a total pass. <laughs> really, I'm sure, you know, I haven't followed the media coverage. Undoubtedly, uh, some on Fox uh, said this or that about it. But truly, he was given a pass. I mean, the story just it was here and gone. Nothing. It would have been a maelstrom if this had been about Barack Hussein Obama. We would still be hearing about it. And we would go on hearing about it for the rest of the summer and right on through the end of the year at every opportunity. But not so in this case. Hmm? It's akin to the treatment of what has transpired with regard to the attempted assassination of Majority Whip Congressman Steve Scalise. The attempted assassination of him and also of the other Republican members of Congress who were with him practicing for their charity event. And... The remarkable, remarkable
all but inexplicable <laughs> fallout following that. With the likes of Scott Pelley saying, opining on national media, we're talking about national network anchor Scott Pelley opining that Steve Scalise brought this upon himself, that it was self-inflicted. Self-inflicted. Scott Pelley dares to say such a thing as that. If this had been a Democrat congressman, representative, or senator, and some Fox host or some host from some other non-network news, some lesser, smaller media outlet than that had come out with such a thing and said that that was self-inflicted, there would have been such an outcry and it would be continuing to this day and on through the end of summer and on through the end of the year. We'd still be hearing about it next year. But dear old Scott Pelley, such an objective, truth-seeking kind of a guy, representing such a, an objective, truthful media operation as he does, it's here today, gone tomorrow. It's old news, immediately. The last I heard regarding Steve Scalise, he still is in serious condition. And he is going to be dealing with this, with recovery from this, for the rest of his life. But there have been various different Democrat Party officials who've come out with just extraordinary statements saying they wished that Scalise was dead. Literally saying that they wished he was dead, that this is what he deserved, so on and so forth, because of his votes, his leadership with regard to working to repeal Obamacare, so-called assured care. Assured care, assured health care legislation of our dear former president. But... The kinds of statements that have been made would have received such an overwhelming tidal wave, tsunami of condemnation, and it would have filled the media, not just the national network media, but all of the others those that you may not think of being national network news media, the ones like PBS and so forth, just nationwide. It would have been absolutely stunning. And instead, no. How about Claudia Tenney, Republican New York, Congresswoman, who received an email with the subject line, one down, 216 to go. And yet, it's passed off as just being, oh well, just one of those things. That's nothing. If 
the shoe were on the other foot, if this was reversed, if this was a Democrat congresswoman following a Democrat congressman or congresswoman being shot, there would have been an outcry about it. And all of the Scott Pellies and all of the others who were in league with them would have been providing a deafening storm of outrage. Not to mention all of the celebrity politicians. All of the celebrities who are so politically active. Extreme leftists. But In case you missed the opening, my name is Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. There was a case concerning a shooting by a policeman of a man driving a vehicle a vehicle which was also occupied by his woman friend, his lady friend, and her little child who I believe was four years old. And the trial of that police officer resulted in an acquittal by the jury. The police officer's name is... Geronimo Yanis, acquitted of all three charges, one count of second-degree manslaughter and two counts of dangerous discharge of a firearm. In the death of Philando Castile, last year, And this was in Minnesota. This was in the Twin Cities, in Minneapolis-St. Paul, uh, more specifically St. Paul. And following the verdict, I don't recall how many days afterwards, the judge made statement backing the jurors who acquitted the officer. And I thought it was rather remarkable as far as what this judge said. (laughs) But said, as we discussed when we met shortly after the verdict, I cannot convey my own opinions as to guilt or acquittal, but your verdict was supported by a fair interpretation of the evidence and the law you were obligated to apply. Now, I certainly am not privy to all of the information and the testimony and the evidence that was provided to this jury of seven men and five women. But, based on what I have read, I disagree with the charges, as well as disagreeing with the verdict. I disagree with the charges. He was charged with, speaking of the police officer, 
He was charged with one count of second-degree manslaughter and two counts of dangerous discharge of a firearm. Well, the bare bones of the case is that Officer Yanez was parked, saw, well, parked, stopped. He saw Philando Castile's vehicle drive by. He thought he resembled, he thought that Mr. Castile resembled a suspect in a robbery case. So he decided to pull him over. And in speaking with the driver after he'd pulled him over, he told him that his brake light was broken. And he asked to see his license and registration. Philando Castile then stated, quote, Sir, I have to tell you I do have a firearm on me, end quote. Now, at the crux of this is the enormous confusion and mountain of injustice that is wrought nationwide by having a plethora of conflicting, contradictory laws regarding concealed carry nationwide. Philando Castile had a concealed carry permit in the state of Minnesota. And as far as I can tell, and, and the information I have goes back five years ago, and again, this killing goes back one year ago. But the information that I have that goes back five years ago is that he would not have been required to inform a law enforcement officer of his carrying a weapon, having a weapon on his person or in his vehicle until such time as the law enforcement officer demanded to know. So as far as I know, he volunteered information that was not required. And what took place following that, based on the information I have, is that immediately Officer Yanez went into red alert, panic mode. Now, if Philando Castile was a murderer, he wouldn't have said a word about it. He would have pulled his gun and shot him. He would have pulled his gun and shot Officer Yanez at point-blank range. Instead, he informs him calmly that he has a firearm on him and that he needs to inform him of that. Well, he didn't need to inform him of that as far as I know. But again, what took place immediately following that statement to Officer Yanez is that Officer Geronimo or Geronimo Yanez puts his hand on his gun and he shouts to Castile, don't pull it out. Well, he's shouting to Castile not to pull his gun out while he has his hand on his gun. Now, what video there is, is from Officer Yanez's dash cam in his vehicle. Meanwhile, Philando Castile and his lady friend, Diamond Reynolds, 
who is with him in the car, and her four-year-old daughter. are all in danger thanks to the panic response of the police officer whose response is not tempered by the presence of this woman and her little girl, nor by reason. (laughs) But Philando Castile and Diamond Reynolds tell Officer Yanez that Philando Castile is not reaching for a gun. He's reaching for his identification from his wallet, which he should not have done. He should not have done. Should have let the officer take that. Or should have let the officer instruct the woman to do that. But he shouldn't have done that. Should have just... Put his hands up, kept them up, both of them. But instead, Castile attempts to get his ID out. An ID would not only have been driver's license, but also concealed carry permit. And what happens within seconds? Officer. Geronimo Yanez fires seven shots point-blank range into the car. Let's stop and think about this. Again, private citizens such as Philando Castile are not to be trusted with weapons. And we know that according to Diane Feinstein and all of her sisters-in-arms and all of her brothers-in-arms, that... Veterans, military veterans, are not to be trusted with firearms. Even if they're in law enforcement. And regular run-of-the-mill citizens, of course, should never be trusted with firearms. Again, like Philando Castile, yourself, myself, whoever. And Diamond Reynolds, women, ladies, not to be trusted with firearms. But only law enforcement officers who have no military background, no military experience, they're the only ones to be trusted with firearms. And yet here, Officer Yanez, he panics, and within seconds, after screaming at Castile, don't pull it out, attempts to shoot him seven times at point-blank range, and is such a sure shot that even though Philando Castile is in the driver's seat, is limited to being there, whether he had his seatbelt on at, at this point in time or not, or had taken it off, he only manages to hit him two times out of seven, at point-blank range into the car. Only manages to hit this man who would die shortly thereafter two times out of seven. So there were five bullets flying around the vehicle that were not even impeded by having gone through Philando Castile's body, which could have hit the four-year-old daughter of Diamond Reynolds and could have hit Diamond Reynolds. Philando died within a half hour. I think it's reasonable to assume that the reason for the terrible shooting by Officer Yanez was his obvious panic. But the idea that he should then only be charged with second-degree manslaughter, not first-degree murder, not second-degree murder, not murder at all, Not first-degree manslaughter, but second-degree manslaughter is, to me, breathtaking. Absolutely breathtaking. Second-degree manslaughter and two counts of dangerous discharge of a firearm. And the jury acquits. And the judge 
speaks to the jury, and he tells them that he backs up their verdict, their decision. That they judged in a way that was supported by a fair interpretation of the evidence and the law that they were obligated to apply. Well, I don't know how it's possible to see it that way. I just don't. Now, Geronimo Yanez, uh, the photographs I have of him are so small and distant and so forth, I can't really say... I'm assuming, I'm guessing that he would be described as white Hispanic, white Latino. But not necessarily. I have certainly seen men of color, people of color, black men that are lighter than Officer Yanez. Meanwhile... The dead man, Philando Castillo, clearly was of African-American descent. As far as I'm concerned, this is an outrage. This is a clear, clear miscarriage of justice. But it doesn't begin with the jurors. And it doesn't end with the judge. It begins, of course, with the officer, but then with the prosecutor, with the prosecuting attorney, with the district attorney. For only charging Officer Yanez with second-degree manslaughter. Second-degree manslaughter, accidental killing accidentally killing him by shooting him seven times at point-blank range. Again, if Philando Castile was a murderer, Officer Yanez would have been dead. He never would have heard anything about Philando Castile having a gun. Philando Castile would have pulled the gun instead of pulling his ID while the officer was there at the car and would have blown him away. That's not what happened. And Officer Yanez, in my view, clearly is woefully ill-trained and ill-prepared. If this had been an actual factual murderer, he would have been dead. And I'm talking about just a run-of-the-mill garden-variety murderer. I'm not talking about terrorists. If he stopped a car full of terrorists, in case you didn't know, the uh, Twin Cities... Pardon me, I almost said Tri-Cities. The Twin Cities, Minnesota, Minneapolis-St. Paul, is a hotbed for terrorism. And, when, and let me just qualify that by saying Islamist terrorism. And it could be referred to as domestic terrorism because some of these people, of course, are naturalized citizens and others have been born to Islamist Arabic families and so forth. But Somalians and Sudanese and Iranians and Iraqi peoples and all manner, Egyptians and so forth. Uh, it, <laughs> the Twin Cities in Minnesota There is a significant concentration, as there is in Detroit, as there is in Flint, as there is in Washington, D.C., and in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., and many other places. These are just some of them, but many other places. But if Officer Yanez had pulled over a car containing, oh, I don't know, how about four Islamist terrorists? How long do you think it would have taken before he was dead? Would it have been a split second? Would they really have used a gun or would they have gotten out with a machete like in downtown London? Remember the black Islamists there 
who hacked to death this wonderful young Christian white member of the British Army, British military, who was home, had gotten home safely. He was a newlywed, and his wife was finally able to relax because her husband was safely home. And he was wearing his uniform, and he was coming out of a military facility barracks or something. I I can't remember what it was. And these black Islamists were looking for the opportunity to murder British military. So they were hanging outside of this place. And first they ran him down with their vehicle. Then they hopped out with machetes and knives and finished hacking him to death. And the wonderful British jurisprudence system found them guilty of something or other. (laughs) Who knows quite what it was. I don't know what the explicit charges were. Maybe something like second-degree manslaughter. And sentenced them, I believe, to, I don't know, three, four, five years in prison. But, of course, there will be lots of time off for good behavior. And uh, they're probably back on the streets now. Probably, honestly. Uh, That's no exaggeration. And you find this same unbelievable, impossibly unrighteous, unjust, perverse mentality. This complete perversion of justice throughout the Western world throughout Europe, whether that's Southern Europe, Western Europe, Northern Europe, Eastern Europe, UK, Ireland, what's left of Ireland that's not in the UK, not Northern Ireland, Canada, United States of America, Mexico, the Caribbean, Central America, South America, Australia, New Zealand. You find this. Everywhere where there is Western justice, Israel, for sure. Incredible, incredible, perversely unrighteous justice systems. Horribly, unspeakably unjust justice systems. Well, anyway, Judge Leary, William Leary, District Judge of Ramsey County believes that this jury got it right. And Officer Yanez is acquitted. Now, that's not to say that there couldn't be civil charges against him. There certainly could be, should be. But it is a miracle that Diamond Reynolds And her little girl, her four-year-old girl, were not injured. Traumatized, scarred for life, but not injured. Philando Castile murdered in the vehicle that they're in. How do you think that's going to impact that little girl for the rest of her life, for the entirety of her life? If you imagine, she's not going to remember that in a few years. You are dreaming. (laughs) I know that I recalled things back to when I was two years old and younger. Long, long into life. And things that were not traumatic. (laughs) But... It was a miracle that this woman and her little girl were not injured, physically, mortally, gravely injured. And perhaps the jury would have decided differently if they had been. But thank God they were not. Thank God the damage was limited to the destruction of this young man. 
the tragic death of this young man, Philando Castile. But leave it to the leftists to try to use this tragic shooting death of Philando Castile as an excuse, a reason to try to deny gun ownership to civilians, to citizens. Extraordinary. But that's what's going on. Any pretense that they can come up with. Well, a man shot and killed a murderous destroyer, saving the twins who were fathered by that destroyer, the three-month-old twins. And police investigators are reviewing whether they should or should not bring charges against the man that saved those little girls and saved their mother. I say little girls, that's what I remember them being, but who knows? I could be mistaken. But the man who saved this mother and her three-month-old twins, this man, Cash Freeman, of Ada, Oklahoma, which is southeast of Oklahoma City. He shot Leland Foster to death. Well, what were the circumstances? Foster, who lived in a city or town by the name of and I'm probably mispronouncing it badly, Potu, which is about two hours from Ada. He arrived at a house where his estranged wife, Michelle Forels, was staying, she and her three-month-old twins. And this Leland Foster charged in there. He grabbed his estranged wife at knife point and the twins. And he dragged them into a bathroom while a 12-year-old girl who was living in that house ran for help. And this Cash Freeman a neighbor who owned a firearm, a revolver, responded to the little girl, rushed over to the house, saw that this wonderful daddy was trying to murder his twin three-month-olds in the bathroom while he held his estranged wife at knife point. And Cash Freeman opened fire on him, shooting him twice in the back. Yes, oh my. Terrible incident. Shot him twice. Shot him twice in the back. We need to investigate this to see whether we should bring charges against him. Even though this Leland Foster was attempting to drown his three-month-old twins in the tub while he held his estranged wife at knife point, if he had had his way, he would have succeeded in murdering those babies, and their mother. And this neighbor saved his life thanks to this brave little girl, 12-year-old girl, rushing over to get him. But we need to see whether should bring charges against this good Samaritan.
It reminds me of the case also from Oklahoma some years ago, a very young widow, all of 20, 21, whose husband died in Iraq or Afghanistan on deployment there. She had a baby, and she was living in a mobile home, or as our wonderful former president and his wonderful co-president, you know, Bill and Hill, would refer to as trailer trash or white trash. You know, people who really respect and regard women and children. You know, it's all about the children. Anyway, she was with her baby or toddler in her mobile home. And this homicidal maniac, this absolute destroyer, forced his way into her home. And she grabbed her baby and put the living room furniture between herself and that man. And she grabbed a shotgun and she shot him to death. And she later said very, very soon after that, because the wonderful media people were saying, well, shouldn't she be charged with this? And again, police investigators were reviewing whether to bring charges against her. They said, well, they guessed that they wouldn't bring charges against her. Defending herself, defending her baby from this absolute heinous destroyer. But she said, if it weren't for the baby... She didn't know whether she would have. This is so terrible that we, this nation, this society, this perverse, corrupt, subverted nation has indoctrinated girls and young women into thinking this way that they do not deserve to protect themselves, defend themselves from being attacked, raped, murdered, kidnapped, raped, murdered. No, because the life of the destroyers are too precious. It's a very sad state of affairs. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.